It's time for your NBA fix. This is the Big Show Daily Assist. Featuring all the latest news and insight on the association. Now joining the Big Show. Senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, Howard Beck. On 97.5, 1280 The Zone and The Zone Sports Network. Happy Friday, Howard. How are you? Doing well, guys. How are you? Hey, we are doing great. Um, I know we've asked you about the the play-in situation before, but uh, now we're in the the midst of the final week, Howard, and I'm still a little little torn on whether or not it should stay, but it certainly uh, made this week more interesting. Well, listen, um, among other things, we are here with three games, three days of games to go tonight, Saturday, and Sunday, and the top six in each conference are still not settled. Nobody's locked up any of, of the seedings in the top six. Only two of the play-in slots are definitely locked in. So the combination of all kinds of things, including the play-in, has given us, I think, as much suspense going into a final weekend of games as we've ever had. And again, that's not all the play-in uh, credit, but it's part of it. And I think, you know, as we've discussed before, you know, we've just had now had here weeks of coming down the stretch where two third, more than two-thirds of the league, you know, 26 teams at one point, then started to, to, to ebb. But most involved, you know, teams are still trying. Teams are still got something to play for, and that's a good thing. So, and it's not just the teams that are trying to get into the plane. It's the teams that are trying to avoid the plane on the other end where, you know, they're trying to get to six or, you know, trying to stay in six. And so it has created all kinds of extra drama that I think is only a good thing. And then at the end of it all next week in a few days, we'll actually see the play in games and they will feel incredibly, uh, you know, dramatic just on, by definition, because, uh, you know, the seven and eight seeds uh, or the, the, the seventh, seventh and eighth place teams, you know, they'll play each other. And, you know, the winner gets seventh. The loser is now in a single elimination situation. And the nine and ten teams play each other in their single elimination to begin with. So, like, all of those games are going to just have just a heightened sense of, of drama to them because it is essentially win or go home. And I, I just I don't see any downside. You know, Howard, other than what you just described there as far as the drama goes, there's also the idea, and I wanted to get your thought on this, how much do you how much do you doubt or distrust teams that have star players who have been injured over long stretches heading into the playoffs? Obviously the Lakers fit into that category, the Jazz fit into that category. Do you think these guys will be reassembled and brought in and sort of integrated in a way that they'll be able to be effective right from jump? I think it's hard. I mean, I think it's hard to go from zero to 60. I think it's hard to go from days or weeks off from injury and jump right back in and expect to be in a rhythm yourself and with your teammates and to have your conditioning. That's, nobody wants to go into a playoff series having just spent a bunch of time on the shelf. Um, it's, it's an issue. How much of an issue, we won't know until the playoffs actually start. But it's an issue for the Jazz. It's an issue for the Lakers for the Nets, um, you know, um, probably a few others that I'm, I'm not thinking of at the moment, but it, it's, you know, it, it can play a role. I mean, Dallas has been without Porzingis for a lot of, you know, the last several weeks, and, um, you know, it, the, those, those things have an impact. 
How are the Jazz uh, made an announcement today that they're going to have 13,000 fans in the stands for the playoffs? And I'm not sure what other teams' um, plans are per se, but having more fans, could that give the Jazz a bit of a a boost, a little more of a home court advantage? It's going to be interesting to see now that the CDC has, you know, issued new guidelines yesterday about if you're vaccinated, you can be inside without a mask and, um, you know, localities everywhere just easing their restrictions, period. I don't know what that's going to mean city by city or arena by arena. Um, I don't know how big of a, of a discrepancy there might be. Are some places still going to only have like 2,000 and some have 15,000? I don't know. But I will say that after months of us saying, ah, there is no home court advantage, oh, you know, and this is me saying this, where I'd be saying back in March, maybe, oh, seating doesn't matter. There's no fans, therefore there's no home court advantage. And the stats show it. Like, there has been no home court advantage really this season or the the least home court advantage um, maybe in the history of the league. But if fans all of a sudden back in force in the playoffs, even at three-fourths, you know, capacity or somewhere in that range – that might be enough to create a home court advantage again. And maybe the playoffs will be more, uh, you know, close to, to, uh, to normalcy in that sense. And, you know, as we've discussed, I think Utah already has an advantage anyway with, with elevation that if nothing else, even if there were no fans, Utah and Denver would always still have a home court advantage based on the elevation factor. Howard, the Jazz played the Warriors uh, earlier this week and got beat by them. Steph Curry at the game-winning shot. Uh, it, it, we we were in, in the preview for that. We were talking about how it's Steph and Draymond and everybody else. But in the game against the Jazz, it seems like some of those other players were uh, were elevating their games. Do you think the Warriors could be dangerous at all from the back end uh, if they are to uh, you know to uh, make uh, make the playoffs? They won't be the average eight seed, that's for sure, if that's where they end up, or if maybe if they somehow, you know, they could I still think be seventh. They won't be the the, the average lower seed, period, uh, because they have Stefan Draymond, and they do seem to be kind of getting in rhythm at, at the right time. You know, look, there's still a team that's very, very, very limited when Steph is off the court. He does have to rest. Um, and even when he's on the court, if you just throw the entire defense at him you know and then you're daring you know Andrew Wiggins to beat you I, I think I think teams will take that you know and some of those guys will have a good game now and then but you know between Wiggins and Ubre and Toscana Anderson Toscana Anderson and, and uh you know you know Draymond's not really a scorer like there really is no other scoring on that team and so Steph is dangerous but are the Warriors dangerous at this stage with this roster that's hard to say. I mean, if he gets hot and gets hot just enough times, could he? Could they pull the upset? I suppose it's conceivable. But four out of seven, given how limited the rest of the roster is, I don't think it's very likely. I was impressed uh, at times with their defense, which, what is it, Jake, rate, rate, rated the fifth best defense? Something like the, that. Something like that. So at least they're doing that. Yeah, I mean, and then Steve Kerr set out this season to to be that kind of team. I mean, he said, you know, we're not, you know, no, understanding that they didn't have a lot of offense beyond Steph, that they were going to need to be elite defensively if they had any chance at all to make the playoffs. And to their credit, that's what they've done. And that will keep in games. But you still got to score in this league. 
Who is the team to beat in the Western Conference, Howard? I don't know. I, I, <laughs> I really don't. I mean, you know, if you want to say, if you want to go by record and, and say, well, the Jazz have earned that. Okay. If you want to go by record and say, well, the Suns have earned that because they're barely behind the Jazz and it's, you know, they still, I think, could actually pull out the, the best record. Fine. But, you know, we'll be in the playoffs for the first time in 10 years. And, you know, it's the first time for, for, their entire roster other than Chris Paul and Jay Crowder. The Jazz have been in the playoffs, but they haven't been deep. Um, they're untested as, as front runners, as contenders. Um, you know, the Nuggets have the MVP, the almost certain MVP, but they don't have Jamal Murray. The Lakers, we know they're a mess. The Clippers, nobody trusts the Clippers. I mean, you can, you can just throw caveat after caveat on, on every one of these teams. And, you know, I, I think it's a five-way race. If the Lakers are healthy, they're probably the favorites, no matter what their record says, no matter what their seeding is. But if they're healthy, is is not like that. That's a serious if. Uh, you know, we gotta we gotta see them out on the court and functioning again. In kind of a crazy year, Howard, are you predicting to, or would you expect to see upsets in the first round of the playoffs? I don't know if I expect it. I think we shouldn't be surprised if it happens. Um, because it's been this incredibly unusual season, and because the you know the the the, the teams at the top aren't proven overall, um, you know, proven in the course of a regular season is not the same thing as being proven in the course of a postseason. And when you have low, you know, a lower seed like the Lakers that that should actually be one of the top teams in the conference, it it opens the door to you know to an upset for sure. And you know, it'll it'll be hard to even call it an upset if it's the defending champions winning as a seven seed or eight seed. You know, is that really an upset? I mean, sure, by record it is, by by the seedings it is, but you know, they are the defending champs. Back east, uh, Howard, what teams are you consider considering contenders for the Eastern Conference? Is it is it a list of one, three, or longer? I think it's four. You know, everybody's focused on the Nets and the Bucks and the Sixers, rightfully, but I don't. I don't think we should rule out the Heat. Um, you know, they've they've been you know playing much better over the last couple months than they were early on. Jimmy Butler's absence had a lot to do with that, and then kind of getting back into into shape after dealing with COVID. And yeah, you know, some of their who were so great in the bubble have not been able to replicate that success consistently, but. They play their butts off defensively. Jimmy Butler is just a baller and a big-time gamer. He's a guy you always know is going to come through in big games, and he's had an incredible season. And those three teams, the, you know, the, the other three, again, they've all got some, some caveats. You know, The Nets' big three has barely played together. They're going to play tomorrow, and it'll be, I think, the eighth game all season that they've played together. And the, and the Nets are terrible defensively. The Sixers are limited offensively in some way. They're great defensively, but offense is all about Joel Embiid. And if you can take him away, especially down the stretch, well, where do they go? Ben Simmons is not a scorer, not not most of the time, um, only when he plays the Jazz, I guess. Um, sorry. Um, but Ben Simmons is not the guy you're, you're just going to say, okay, go just go get us a bucket. And so now it's now it may, maybe it's Tobias Harris. Well, how much do you trust Tobias Harris to bring you home in a tight game? Uh, the Bucks. You know, it's still about, you know, whether Giannis can deliver in the clutch, especially when defenses are designed in the playoffs to, to wall off the paint to him. 
and have they added enough with Drew Holiday and PJ Tucker? You know, are they are they good enough to to do it? So I think the Heat are are in the conversation. What's your evaluation of the Knicks, Howard? I mean, incredible season. Nobody saw it coming, similar to the Suns. And, you know, Julius Randle has just completely transformed his game and his image. Uh, Tom Thibodeau has, has molded an elite defense out of a group that didn't have a single real defensive player among them. I mean, except for maybe Mitchell Robinson, who's been injured for the last couple of months anyway. So it's it's incredible what they've done, um, but this is the start. Like this is not, you know, you don't have a breakthrough and say, okay, well, it's, it's that's it. They're they're they've arrived. I mean, they're not a contender yet. Um, they've got work, they've, and they've they've got to figure some things out about you know the rest of that supporting cast. And but they've got a ton of cap room. They've got extra draft picks. They're very well positioned. So um, there, like, there's no downside for the Knicks now. You lose in the first round fine you lose in the second round whatever fine like no one there's no expectations i mean knicks fans being the exuberant fans that they are and and also having a lot of pent-up energy after all these years of losing i mean sure are they dreaming of a a deep playoff run absolutely but i they like the knicks have already won (laughs) just being where they are after all the years of misery uh this season's already success no matter what else happens howard i know you always have good reasons for uh, what you say and what you decide but let me ask you, Jazz fans want to know whether you're going to vote for Rudy Gobert for Defensive Player of the Year and uh, Jordan Clarkson as Sixth Man of the Year? Gobert for Defensive Player of the Year is almost a given. I, I'm, I'm, I, mean, like, I haven't actually filled out the ballot yet, and I'll be one of the last to turn it in because I always am because I'm annoying that way. And the, it's very, very likely Gobert is top of my Defensive Player of the Year ballot. Sixth man is complicated. Like, Jordan Clarkson is by far the highest scoring sixth man. He also takes way more shots than any other sixth man in the league. He takes almost twice as many shots as Joe Ingles does. <laughs> and so, you know, I was on Zach Lowe's podcast a week or so ago, and we discussed sixth man for part of the episode. And we talked about this, and I said, you know, it's interesting. You know, Joe Ingles is putting up, like, just insanely great efficiency numbers to go with his scoring. He doesn't score as much, but he scores so incredibly efficiently. I said, but he's also on the court quite a bit with Jordan Clarkson and Clarkson, while a, a you know, more of a volume scorer, is it possible that him just putting the ball in play so much and him being a threat and him being able to break that a defense with his ball handling, is that some, is that contributing to Joe Ingles being able to have that great efficiency? Like, is, uh, you know, and, and it may be vice versa too. Maybe Joe Ingles creating the gravity that he does by being a, a great shooter is giving Clarkson some opportunities. So it's hard to figure out chicken and egg there and whether to reward the guy with the higher scoring totals or the guy with the higher efficiency on, on much few, you know, many fewer shots. And then, you know, Jalen Brunson's been a really great sixth man for Dallas. Derek Rose has been done a great job for the Knicks. Uh, Bobby Portis to some extent for the Bucks. You know, there are some other solid candidates who, you know, it's hard to decide, you know, whether any of those are, you know, I'm, I'm still mulling through, as you can tell, like I'm still thinking it all through. I'm not completely convinced that Clarkson should be at the top in, in large part because he's, he's putting up a lot of points on, on, you know, relatively low efficiency. Howard, as always, thank you very much. Have a great weekend. Always a pleasure guys. Thank you.
Howard Beck, senior NBA writer for Sports Illustrated, joins us each and every Friday. And think about it, Gordon, next time we have Howard on, we will be talking about the Jazz first-round matchup. We will. At long last. What did you think of his uh, his uh, answer to that last question? Uh, about Jordan Clarkson. I think Jordan is – I think he put it pretty well. I think Jordan's as good a candidate – um, as anybody for six man, I don't think it should be held against him that he shoots a lot. That's his role on the team. I, my impression from Howard is that he was somewhat concerned about efficiency. Okay. Also, how many guys are coming off the bench and scoring forty points? <laughs> yeah, yeah, there have been those occasions. I mean, it, honestly, his. The role that the Jazz have made for him on it. Well, let me put it this way. Uh, how many people said that about Lou Williams? Yeah. He was doing the same stuff. And uh, who's the other guy for the Clippers? Why am, I going, uh, why am I going blank? A few years ago, when the Jazz matched up against him in the playoffs, he was their sixth man. He was the sixth oh, man of the year yeah, like, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. like five yeah. times. I know who you're talking oh, about. Oh, why am I having a, a senior moment here? I apologize. It's not Crawford, is it? Jamal Crawford. Yes. Yeah. Thank you, Gordon. Thank you very much. Jamal Crawford. Nobody ever heard anybody say, well, efficiency of Jamal Crawford. No, they just go, dude's coming in off the bench and <laughs> pouring in 20. Get that man the award. Yeah. But Howard votes and I don't, so what do I well, know? People who, who would be Joe Ingalls voters probably are considering some of the other things. Well, that certainly is one of Joe's strengths, and I think he should be considered for the award as well. So, yeah. you know, someone's... One player's strength is another's weakness. The good news for the Jazz is those two both play well together. So two players from a bench unit getting consideration for the Sixth Man of the Year award, I don't think that happens very much. I didn't ask him about Quinn Snyder. Um, well, that's pretty disrespectful to Quinn of you. No, I mean, I, I just have a feeling that there might be some... You've been hard on Coach Snyder lately. What? Called him, like, uh, disingenuous the other day. That was, like, yesterday. I did not. Where you said he was fibbing. And it was talking about Jordan Clarkson. <laughs> Come to think of it. Did I really say that? Yeah. I did not. Uh, what, I, what, I, what I meant to say here is that I wonder if he's going to get the respect he deserves uh, with other coaches grabbing some of the attention. Yeah. It doesn't look like it. Yeah. It seems like other people are getting the wind is blowing uh, to <laughs> Phoenix or New York on that award. Seems like it.